Purple, get ready to roll indeed. Welcome back to College and Kimball. I am your host, Jeff Burkhart. I will be flying solo in this upcoming interview with Duke Rittenhouse of the Reno Gazette Journal as we will preview the Wildcats week three opponent, the University of Nevada. There will be another episode of College and Kimball showing up in your podcast feed later on this week. It will be the full cast of characters, myself, Clint Wilson, Justin Nutter, and Alex Speth will obviously deep dive into the Wildcats 31-23 victory over Southern Illinois, offer up our predictions for week three against the University of Nevada. We'll look at the Big 12 slate for week three and also give you a little recap of the KSU Fantasy League that Clint is keeping track of for us here in the early aughts of the 2021 college football season. But for the moment, I am now pleased to be joined by Duke Rittenhouse. He covers the University of Nevada for the Reno Gazette Journal. And Duke, before we deep dive into... K-State Nevada, I did want to start off with a high-level question about a topic that's permeated really all of college athletics going back to late July. The Big 12 obviously announced that it was going to be expanding and has since taken on a couple of new schools in Houston and Cincinnati and so forth. Uh, Now, Colorado State and Boise State were some of the other schools that had merited consideration there. What was there any kind of reaction uh, among Mountain West uh, fans of any Mountain West institutions after seeing those two get passed over for the Big 12? You know, I, I'm not sure there was a huge reaction. Um, the The Mountain West is kind of an, an, an interesting place. Um, you know, I will say that generally anything Boise State does draws a reaction. Um, they actually have a separate television contract than the other 11 schools. They get more money. There's a jealousy thing factor there and you know back in the other the most recent realignment frenzy which would have been you know 2011 2012-ish they got a nice deal to stay in the mountain west um and uh, because i don't know if you remember they were they were being seriously i actually believe they joined the big east temporarily very briefly yeah for a minute yeah yeah and so um you know so boise state tends to draw a reaction um one way or the other but no in general I don't think there was an expectation um, that realistically the Big 12 was looking to the Mountain West. Um, you know, the, the schools they took, uh, the only one in our footprint really would be BYU. And, and that's a national brand. And it it's, makes sense that they would uh, go after a national brand. So, you know, right now, the fact that the Mountain West is, is hanging tough with the same 12 schools for football and 11 for every other sport not a huge surprise right now. I mean, it's, I think it's kind of what we expected. You know, I'm not sure what changes we'll see out here. I, I, part of me says that this time next year, we're going to have the same 12 schools, that we are just not going to be affected by this. I could be wrong. That's kind of my gut feeling. No, completely understandable with the way you, you hear about conference realignment and the PAC 12 has such a reputation of there's a lot of other ancillary considerations that they make where it seems like football is is not the priority, which is kind of the antithesis of what we see everywhere else when we talk about schools moving to different conferences. And everybody's always said that a lot of those Mountain West institutions don't really fit per se into the Pac-12. And, and you know, candidly, I'm one of those. I really appreciate geography and I feel like that 
that's really what facilitates all these rivalries that we see in the Mountain West to that end has really maintained a lot of those over the last few years. Even despite losing the likes of, of Utah and TCU, it's still been putting out very high quality football teams and not just Boise State in that regard. And and one of those teams, obviously, that's going to be rolling into Manhattan this Saturday is going to be the uh, 2-0 Nevada Wolfpack. Now, this is a group coached by uh, Jay Norvell entering his fifth year in Reno. And, and you know, to kind of parlay what we were just talking about in, in G5 schools looking to make the transition to P5, uh, Norvell's had a couple of, and, and will in all likelihood have another very successful season in Reno. What's the sense that you get in terms of how long he's going to stay around there? Yeah, probably this offseason is, is going to be key. Um, Nevada, more in men's basketball than anything else, we have a history of, of losing coaches to the, the Power Five, <clears throat> including, I believe we're on a streak of like four or five men's basketball coaches in a row going way back to the late nineties. Um, but yeah, you know, Jay's done a fantastic job here and, you know, hypothetically, let's say they put together a good season, play for the mountain West championship, go to the best bowl game they can find. He's going to be an attractive off season candidate. And, uh, you know, I don't think there's any question about that. And I think he will at least interview for some, um, he does like Reno and uh, has settled in here and is grateful to Nevada um, for his first head coaching opportunity. But, you know, realistically, um, it's a, a huge possibility, especially given um, Nevada is in the bottom half of the conference in paying its coaches um, and always has been and, and likely always will be the the way the state legislature is set up and the way the money flows to the schools and all that is part of it. And the other part of it, we just don't have the huge booster presence of a Southern school, maybe, or a, a big 12 school that um, the boosters can step up maybe in, in some situations and, and foot some of that bill. It's, it's not as likely here. So I don't know. I, I actually um, did another view in earlier today where I, I'll repeat myself. I think it's about 50, 50. I could see him coming back. I could see him trying to make Reno a lifetime thing, but especially like if Iowa comes calling and, you know, he went to school in Iowa, played football there, or um, he grew up in Wisconsin, you know, things like that. He's coached in the Big 12, um, you know, for years at Oklahoma and then also Iowa State. So maybe just the geography is enough to get him to want to leave to, you know, more of the central part of the country. Um, yeah, could be happening. I, you know, I, like I said, I'm going to right now today, I'm going to put it at 50-50. Uh, you actually read my mind there in bringing up Iowa, and I, I was just curious, has he ever been asked, uh, given his time there, he was there at the same point in time that Bill Snyder was coaching the offense for uh, under Hayden Fry in the late 80s uh, and was a GA in uh, uh, Snyder's final season at Iowa City. Uh, do you know if those two have any kind of relationship? Has he ever been asked about that? Yeah, um, you know, <clears throat> okay, so unofficially, the probably the three people that Jay mentions the most, um, as far as his mentors go, uh, he mentions uh, Bill Snyder quite a bit. He mentions Al Davis with the Raiders from his NFL tenure. And he mentions, um, uh, probably third would be Hayden Fry. Just a lot of, you know, over the years, as many times as I've interviewed him, he'll say things like, well, when I was 
you know, when I last talked to Bill Snyder or whatever, and he'll 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 do that. Um, I, those guys had a huge influence on him, um, and and so kind of goes back to, you know, that part of the country, the people who were his mentors. None of those people are in Reno. You know, all of those people are in the Midwest or the Plains states, or um, you know, I guess dipping down to Oklahoma and that sort of thing. That's where, you know, his coaching tree began and that's where his mentors are. So, you know, again, he has a ton of respect for, um, for what's going on there. Um, I actually saw him at a high school football game Friday night and we talked extensively about this game and, you know, he's really looking forward to going back and, you know, it's his part of the country, probably maybe a little bit more upper North, uh, I mean, upper Midwest, but, you know, like I said, geography might be enough and the people might be enough to get him to, uh, to uh, say goodbye to Reno. Definitely a, a name to keep an eye on moving into the off season of 2021 into 22. And you touched on it. Kirk Ferentz seems like he's been at Iowa forever and day. And, you know, I've heard, uh, I, strangely enough, you mentioned Wisconsin. I actually um, uh, met up with a friend this past weekend. Uh, he lives in Madison and just in his interactions with some of the students that are up there and whatnot, they, there's some rumblings about people that are getting a little tired of Paul Chris. So you never know what what could happen, what might come calling or what opportunities might present themselves. But I will say for the moment uh, in Reno, he's got an exceptional team this season. And uh, we I'd be remiss if we didn't start out on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, he's got an exceptional QB talent in Carson Strong and, and really another guy to pair him with is uh, offensive coordinator Matt Mummy, uh, son of Hal Mummy, uh, architect of the modern day air raid. Uh, that has to be a match made in heaven with those two running a, a, a very elite offense. Uh, yeah, it's getting there. It's it's had its um, it's had some ups and downs, um, but yeah, they they are clicking now. Um, yeah, Carson is, um, you know, he's he's poised. Um, he was thrown in as a freshman. His first game was against Purdue and his first college snap. And, you know, just they ended up winning that game, actually, which was kind of interesting. But so he was thrown in and uh, he's really developed and he's very, very accurate, which is, you know, obviously important for a kind of a precision timing based offense. Um, yeah. So Carson's bringing the whole package right now. And, you know, the team loves him and uh, his receiving core you know, I would argue is in the top 10 of the nation. It's just, it, it's got everything, especially with some of the super seniors coming back, but it's got, uh, um, you know, Romeo Dobbs is the speed guy um, and uh, Cole Turner, big tight end. Um, but even when you get beyond those guys, another good thing, that another thing that Carson is good at is he'll go through his reads and his progressions pretty quick. Um and to give you an example, there was 11 different receivers against Idaho State last week. Uh, two of those are running backs, so that still leaves nine, you know, outside receivers that caught a pass. Um, so he's he's clicking through his progressions, and he's happy to throw it, you know, downfield to maybe Elijah Cooks or or uh, or Dubs or one of those guys. But he's also happy to come in underneath to a guy like Justin Lockhart or Melvin Stovall. Um, these are all capable receivers. These guys would start for most teams in the country and, um, you can't cover them all, or it, it's very, very difficult. Um, and then the other part of the air raid is if you do drop eight guys back <clears throat> because you want to cover them all, Nevada's got two capable running backs. Uh, and they're happy if the, if those lanes are open, they're happy to hand the ball off. Um, 
Toatawa went over 100 yards, um, which Nevada hadn't had a 100-yard regular season game since, I think it was fifth game last year. So that was a nice thing to see. I mean, it was Idaho State, and they're a fairly average FCS team. Um, but it was good to see. Yeah, and when that offense is, is going, it's going. By the fourth quarter, you know, Idaho State had no answers. And uh, the week before uh, wasn't quite as effective, but they made plays when they needed to uh, to beat Cal. So, yeah, it's an embarrassment of riches. Uh, there's there's seven or eight receivers that would start for all but the elite schools in the country. Bill Steele, I, I always refer to him and, and I love his preseason guide and everything. But, yeah, he's got uh, no, no surprise there. He's got uh, Nevada's listed as the top position uh the receivers are the top position unit in the conference at nevada so no shock there romeo dobbs i went back and looked at his numbers crazy that that man put up a thousand yard season in just nine games last year so that that gives you an idea of how explosive this this offense can be now as far i'm just curious if you had to gauge it as far as the tempo goes you know obviously us watching plenty of big 12 football over the years we're used to guys you know we're used to those old Art Bryles teams at Baylor that snapped the ball every 15 seconds is does Nevada run at a similar tempo or are they a little bit more deliberate in how they they go about attacking on offense um much more deliberate actually in fact um they ran 65 plays against Cal and 65 plays against Idaho State so and very you know uh, so I've watched both of those games obviously and I didn't see them even attempt to my recollection, a real hurry up. I mean, um, they'll go no huddle a lot. They'll signal in from the sidelines, but they'll line guys up, make sure everyone's lined up where Carson wants them to be, and and then they'll snap. So, so far this season, um, they also haven't really been pressured that much to run a two-minute drill. So, so far this season, um, they're much more leaning towards the effectiveness of the um, – the plays rather than the speed of the plays. Um, Cause you know, to me, 65 plays isn't a lot. Um, you know, on the other hand, they averaged almost uh, 10 yards uh, per play against Idaho state. So I think they would take that, you know, against anyone, but no, this is not a frantic offense. It's a, um, it, it is more deliberate. That's a good word for it. Like I, like I said, I, I think when you see Carson, he will, um, he wants everyone where they're supposed to be and he'll, you know, he'll sometimes get annoyed and signal a guy, you know, a step to the left or a step to the right. Um, then he'll, um, you know, clap his hands and, and, and want the ball, but not until he's got him where he wants him. So, you know, I don't know if that'll have to change. For instance, if Kansas state takes a lead and that puts more pressure on Nevada to, to uh, maybe run it a little bit faster, but <clears throat> excuse me so far, not yet. That has to be a big reason why he is flying up mock draft boards uh, to have that kind of command of an offense. And I'm sure there's going to be a, a litany of of NFL teams that are going to be looking for his services next season. Now, um, we've spent plenty of time on the offensive side of the ball, and that's definitely where Nevada is going to make its hay now to kind of pivot and lo look over to the defensive side. Uh, we have a fairly new D.C. and Brian Ward just came over from Syracuse uh, in uh, in 2020. And so this is just his second year in Reno. Uh, what are the early returns on, on his unit? Um, better than better than it used to be. Um, so he's a big fan. He runs a base four two five, um, which demands a lot of athleticism really from the defense. Um, and the defensive line. So starting from the front, the defensive line is is bigger and stronger and 
it has a lot of the veteran guys on it, um, including I think three, I think it's three of the 11 super seniors are from the defensive line. So you got guys who are 22 years old who have been on campus forever, um, have gone to a thousand practices and they know exactly, you know, what to expect. So um, you, that's a strength, uh, you know, and so obviously when you run a four-man front, they really expect to, to get some pressure on the quarterback. Now, the technically there's two linebackers. So those guys are expected to go sideline to sideline. And then there's, uh, you know, the five defensive backs, which is more four plus a nickel. And uh, there there is maybe where Nevada last six, seven years is not, um, has not really turned anyone's head. They, um, they've been rotating guys in and out of the secondary ever since I've covered the team. They put offensive guys back there. They've put freshmen back there. They've tried everything um, to get a more consistent presence, I guess, in the secondary. Um, so I will say that you've got a lockdown corner in Burdale Robbins. He switched to number zero this year. And then you've got a great safety in Tyson Williams. Um, but there's three other spots to fill. And uh, it looks like a one of the transfer kids, uh, Bentley Sanders, is going to fill one of them, but that still leaves two. Um, and God bless them, but they haven't blown anyone away. I mean, it's kind of a work in progress, the secondary. I think it's better, and it's certainly better than Jay's first season, um, when really teams would come to Reno and just want to pass, uh, because that's how they felt they would win. It's not that, so it's way better than that. But, um, you, you know, the strength of the defense might go in order. The strength is probably at the front, and then it flows through the back. Um, and so, you know, as as Kansas State and Boise State start appearing on the schedule, and then later teams like San Jose State, which can throw, you know, there, there's Nevada's challenge right there. Um, on the defensive side of the ball, uh, here's some teams that can move through the air. And, okay, guys, you know, it now's your time. you got to stop them. Truthfully, that might play into the hands uh, of the Wolfpack this coming Saturday is with with Skylar Thompson being out of the equation here in the in the immediate future for Kansas State they're gonna have to turn to Will Howard who has had his struggles throwing the ball uh, in his first couple of seasons here in Manhattan so it's gonna be a tough a tough road to hoe for the Wildcats and, and that's honestly why I think we see the line that we do on this game with Nevada laying two coming on the road to take on a P5 school uh, kind of remarkable in that sense. Now, you've already kind of touched on it. There aren't really that many glaring weaknesses on this team. And and also they've already had the experience of going on the road and taking care of business against Cal. And, and they hold Cal down to 17 points too, which looks even that much more impressive when you watch Cal go and rip up a Gary Patterson defense for over 30 points and, and, near, and over 450 yards of total offense. So, I think this Nevada team presents a lot of unique challenges to the Wildcats. And, and with all that being said, uh, what what is your feel in terms of what's going to play out this Saturday? Do you, do you feel like Nevada is going to come in and, and steal a road win here against P5, another P5 school? You know, I, I think they're capable um, and I think they're getting better on the road. That was uh, not only with Jay, but uh, Brian Polian, who was here before winning on the road, you know, unless it was going on the road to, you know, Western Montana or something was, was hard. And, and um, th they weren't always successful doing that. I, I think the line is about right. I think, I, I think given the big injury um, to the quarterback, what you're looking at is, you know, I think the odds makers see this as a, as a toss up 
had he played, or maybe KSU as a as a one point favorite, something like that. But obviously, you lose a big position there. You know, I think it's a tough it's a tough assignment. Um, you, you know, Cal again. I, I no disrespect to Cal, they just they they didn't present to me much of a big play threat. Um, and and I thought Nevada did exactly what it had to do to to win that game. I thought so. You know, positive there. They they did the things they needed to do. So I don't know to dig a little bit deeper. I think Nevada can't have more than one turnover. I think I think turnovers not only keep the defense on the field too long, but um, obviously they're very disruptive when you're running a this timing offense. Um, uh, as we discussed earlier, I think Nevada prefers a deliberate long drive rather than you know a 70-yard touchdown pass. I mean, provided they both end with seven points, um, you know Nevada doesn't want uh, the the defense on the field all the time. So that's that's huge. I think moving the chains, um, you know, the team with the most first downs might win. You know, Nevada is generally pretty good when it gets first downs. Um, so I, I'm kind of intrigued. Uh, you know, we had a, we, like I said, we had a run of the mill FCS team come to Reno last week. There wasn't a lot of intrigue there. Um, almost felt like, you know, kind of we could sail through that one. Um, so yeah, it's very intriguing. I think it's there. I also don't think Nevada is good enough to, to come in with too much swagger. I, I, I would really be surprised if they uh, have the attitude of, um, you know, Kansas State's not that good. We're going to roll over these guys. That would be a huge mistake. And, and I don't think they will have that attitude, but um, they're going to have to play a complete game. Um, Kansas State is likely to be bigger and faster in many key areas. And that can be overcome with the air raid working as well as it could. And, and honestly, things like tackling. Nevada is much better at tackling than it was when I got on the beat. They used to miss all kinds of tackles, and they really haven't missed too many before uh, these first two weeks. So, yeah, sorry, I got off in the into the weeds there. I, I do think it'll be close. I think the line's about right. I think Nevada needs one or zero turnovers. There's my uh, there's my short version of that answer. Yeah, I think we're we're going to be in for yet another very competitive game this Saturday, and I know fans probably of the Wildcats aren't going to want to hear that, but this is a very, very competent G5 program that's coming in here, and, and again, this was Phil Steele's pick to win the West Division in the Mountain West, and uh, definitely a team that we're going to want to keep our eyes on uh, as we uh, after this Saturday, because I think that's one of those teams that might have a chance to vie for that uh, that G5 New Year's Six spot. They do have, uh, you touched on it a little bit, they do have a pretty tough road slate on the Mountain West front in that they have to go to Boise, you have to go to Fresno, to San Diego State, and then you wrap up things at Colorado State. I, I know that that's probably in descending order of difficulty there, but that's, that's a tough road slate. But even so, I think this is a, a very sharp team. That's going to give K-State all that it can handle. Uh, very much looking forward to the game. Uh, this Saturday should be another fun one in Manhattan. Duke, thank you again so much for your time before we cut you loose here. Uh, where can our listeners check out your work? Oh, um, so the, uh, the Reno Gazette journal is at, rgj.com just like it sounds and i am on twitter at rgj duke d-u-k-e all one word big thanks again to duke rittenhouse of the reno gazette journal we greatly appreciate his insight on the wildcats week three opponent the nevada wolf pack out of the mountain west conference don't forget to check out duke's work again he can be found at rgj.com 
This has been your midweek opponent preview here on College and Kimball. You can find our podcast on Apple or Spotify. Please subscribe on whatever your preferred platform is. If you have a few moments to give us a rating and a review, we would greatly appreciate that as well. And finally, if you haven't already, follow us on Twitter. It is college underscore Kimball. Until next time, Cats, man. If you know, you know. The Cats do move. The Cats do move.